Thank you for downloading this podcast of the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange, first Sunday in Lent, service, scriptures, and sermon. So glad that you have chosen to be able to spend some time with us. Hope that I can see you in person, 150 South Ashland in LaGrange, 10 a.m., First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange, 150 South Ashland. If you find these recordings a blessing, please go to our website, fpclg.org. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and find the online giving portal. Make a contribution. It doesn't matter the size. It's just a way for us to find out that you've been blessed and for you to let us know. Thank you so much. Let's join the service in progress. Our first scripture reading this morning is from the second and third chapters of Genesis beginning on page 2 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Our epistle lesson comes from the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans beginning in the twelfth verse. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin was not reckoned when there was no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam, who was a pattern of one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded in many. And the gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Pray with me, shall you? Help us not to wrap our mind around your words, but for your words to wrap around our hearts. Help us to more than understand. Help us instead to have faith in understanding your grace. Amen. Well, here it is. It's Lent again. You know the saying, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Right? You know that? It's, it's inspirational, isn't it? You both think of each new morning as an opportunity to start afresh. The beginning, not the end, but the start of something, perhaps something wonderful, to get your blood pumping and your soul invigorated, thinking of all the possibilities that start with this day, this time, this moment, except it's Lent, which has an entirely different vibe. Instead, Lent says... Today is the first day of what's left of your life. We orient ourselves to mortality in this season. Whatever possibility stands before us, the inevitable conclusion of our best laid plans is our expiration date. Of all the seasons, you would think that Lent would be the hardest to sell. It starts with smudging our faces with soot, as Chris pointed out and as the kids recalled, uh, though as everybody acknowledged, nobody knows why, followed by a challenge to enjoying something that we like for about four and a half or five weeks. And then it ends with singing minor tunes in front of an ancient grave. Well, that sounds like a cult, does it not? Hoo-hoo, I'll tell you, those Christians sure know how to party. What marketing genius decided that this was a, a great idea? We're not even sure exactly how to greet each other. Did you have that problem this past Wednesday? Especially as you got on the train or walking down the street, and, you know, the Catholics start Ash Wednesday early. We wait till evening so you can go straight from being smudged to wiping that stuff off your face. Catholics have to wear it all day long. And you saw them, and you thought, oh, goodness, that's right, it's Ash Wednesday. Happy Ash Wednesday. Happy? What are you supposed to say? Merry Lent. It's just not working. Season's greetings. Yeah, that might work. Wow. Look at you. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We have so much in common. How about dinner? How can you say no to an invitation like that, right? I grew up doggedly Protestant. We were not only Protestant, we were committed to not looking Catholic. In fact, we were more dedicated to not looking Catholic than we were to being Protestant. As our house was only one of three publics on our block, I remember asking our mom, why don't we get ashes on Ash Wednesday like our neighbors do? And my mom said, 
We don't have special days to think about our sin. We're supposed to do that every day. Well, that's significantly more appealing. And, you know, true to form, we did end up going to church every Wednesday. <laughs> Traditionally, this Sunday sermon wrestles with the gospel text of Jesus who has just gone right from his baptism to fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. No midnight snacking. The gospel is clear. It was 40 days and 40 nights. And all this succeeds in accomplishing is for him to summon up Satan to challenge his willpower. Turn some stones into dinner rolls, says the great accuser. Jump off the temple. God will keep you safe. Bow down to me, and I will give you controlling interest in all of my world's holdings. Three temptations. Of course, the point of the lesson is to remind us that Jesus, who was tempted like us, did not sin. Ha! Take that, Eve. Because the last time that Satan tempted someone directly, face to face, it didn't go well. Genesis 3, 6. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Curious thing about the story is, is that Adam is just silent through the whole thing. Dun, dun, dun. You had the entire garden. Adam and Eve, and every, every tree. And in an environment where things don't decay or rest, guess what? Even the avocados were always at perfect ripeness. I just bought sale avocados, and it didn't work out well, so that's on my mind. Fresh pineapple, mango. Think about your favorite fruit, your favorite nut. All of them at their disposal. You can eat of everything, said the Lord, except you had one rule. But hear me out. Because I'll guarantee, because unless you're an undertaker or a life insurance salesman, this is the only time all week long that you're going to be asked to think seriously about your mortality. Undertakers ask you to think about your mortality because they would like a pre-need. And of course, life insurance salesmen are the same thing. This is the only time you're going to be asked to think about your mortality and no one will make a commission based on your thoughts. All week long, there's a little voice whispering in our ear. It's Genesis 3-4. You're not going to die. No, 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 the voice tells us. You're too smart for that. The rest of the week we hear the tempters lie. But for this brief hour we spend a little time with the truth. We do it all year long, as my mom pointed out. But particularly in the season of Lent, we set aside our illusions of invincibility and grapple just for a time with this simple fact. All of us, in one way or form, are avocados. We're going to pass an expiration moment where we're of any good to anybody. Our accomplishments are fleeting. Even we ourselves will die. 
I find that notion elegantly articulated in the Union Prayer Book for Jewish worship. The second volume has several service liturgies for synagogues. And in part two, the Shabbat memorial service, I'm quoting from the 1894 edition, if you want to go home and pull yours off your shelf. Uh, you'll need to indulge the gendered language and my lengthy read, but from the same people who gave us the Genesis story in their worship service, this is what is recited. Man is feeble and perishable. His best laid plans and purposes are subject to disappointment and failure. Scarcely ushered into life, he begins his pilgrimage to the sepulcher. Through trial and suffering, he hastens to the darkness of the grave. Thousands moisten their morsel of bread with tears and sweat of ceaseless toil till their fondest hopes vanish in death. Passions burn in the human breast and beguile to pleasure and to sinfulness. But the delight ends with the enjoyment. Sin consumes the morrow of life. Indulgence dwarfs the best impulses of the soul. Success and disappointment, pleasure and pain mark the pathway of our earthly pilgrimage. Human life is a continual struggle against forces without and passions within. Man prevails only to succumb. He fails only to renew the combat in the next moment. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. Endless are the desires of the heart. No mortal has ever had enough of riches, honor, and wisdom with death ended his career. Man devises new schemes on the grave of a thousand disappointed hopes. Like Moses on Mount Nebo, he beholds the promised land from afar, but into it he is denied entrance. Discontent abides in the palace and the hut, rankling alike in the breast of prince and pauper. Death finally terminates the combat and grief and joy. Success and failure are all ended like a child falling asleep over his toys. Man relinquishes his grasp on earthly possessions only when death overtakes him. The master and the servant, the rich and the poor, the strong and the feeble, the wise and the simple are all equal in death. The grave levels all distinctions and makes the whole world kin. We are sinners. We are mortal. But more than that, we have the audacity to say that's good news. Or as Jürgen Moltmann wrote, death is that which swallows us up after we have attempted to devour everything else. Our greatest problems unfold when we forget. Our greatest destructions come when we desire. Adam and Eve lost sight of an entire garden, every tree, every seed, everything needed for a full and flourishing life. 
But there was before them that one forbidden marshmallow. You know the study, right, with the little kids and the marshmallows. Can you wait? You'll get two. Most of them don't. And now that's what gets us into trouble. It's our frustration with what we have and the distraction to what we don't have. Which brings us back to this season, the whole business of Lent. A season in which we linger over our mortality, our inadequacy, the distance between our reach and our grasp, not to obsess about the pain of concupiscence. There's a word, concupiscence. Take a minute. Fresh off Valentine's Day, there's a little Cupid in concupiscence. It is to be with Cupid, to be driven by unfulfilled desire, concupiscence. Not to obsess over the pain of concupiscence, but to be released from it. To assess the rest of our gardens, to clearly see all that we've been given, to find ourselves so full that we can every day say, it's enough. Because Lent without Easter is despair. It's the endless loop of desire and disappointment followed by desire and fresh crushing disappointment. But Lent does conclude, just as our lives will conclude. It ends as our lives will with resurrection. Unmerited favor. God's pronouncement that we are free, that we are forgiven, that despite the reality of what and who we are, in spite of our mortality, we are eternally loved. And we shall live. Amen. Amen. Stand and join with me in the crescendo of our creed that ends with those all-important words. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.